Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. I am Lauren Richmond Jr., and today I'm welcoming Scott Nelson to the show. Scott is a church planter and lead pastor of Covenant Grove Church in Modesto, California. He also serves as a church planting coach and trainer and has spoken across the country on evangelism, discipleship formation, leadership development, and strategic planning. Today we'll be talking about his book, Supply Lines, Five Supporting Relationships Every Planter and Pastor Needs. So let's welcome Scott to the show. All right, welcome to the show. I am Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined today by Reverend Dr. Scott Nelson. Thanks for being here today. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? No, I, I love Jesus. Uh, love my family. I've been married 24 years, got five kids. Uh, love the outdoors. Uh, love love God's church. Um, yeah, so backpacking, hiking, that's my stuff. Love it. Now, what part of the world do you come from here? You come from the West Coast? Yeah, I'm in California uh, in a town called Modesto, which is a couple of hours from okay. Yosemite and Sacramento and San Francisco. Um, so, yeah, it's a, kind of a middle of nowhere, but close to everything. Awesome. Awesome. Well, speaking of kids, I am recording again Saturday morning home with kids. So hopefully uh, we won't have too much uh participation in the <laughs> podcast from them, but for our listeners' sake, just FYI there. Um, Scott, uh, what share, if you would, kind of about your faith journey, what that's looked like in the past and what that looks like today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've received, I grew up in a Christian home with a parents who loved the Lord, uh, especially my mom, just praying at my bedside. Um, kind of around ninth grade, I really made uh, my own faith commitment to the Lord and just said, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. it's not just what I was raised in. This is actually who I am. Uh, and then in 11th grade, I felt a call to ministry while uh, on a mission mm-hmm. trip. Um, and then it's been a lot of just kind of saying yes to God. And for me, I think the biggest thing I've learned, um, I think I, in my mind, I sort of start off as following Jesus is a lot about what I do, what I do, what I do. And I've, I've had to learn mm-hmm. through the years, through some hard stuff that, it's primarily about learning to receive from the Lord, let his mm, love pour into good. me, turning my cup up, uh, and receiving his gifts, his spirit, his love, um, and then learning to live out of the overflow. So loving him back, loving others, living his justice, his mission. Um, so, yeah, and I know we're on future Christian. Uh, so just, I, I think that faith is the same through the years, but faith is always contextualized, you know, whether it's where we are Mm -hmm, on the planet mm -hmm. or different different times in history. Um, So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to just live into. uh, It's just learning to keep my cup up and letting God pour into me. I feel like we could take a, a a quick turn and just go down that road for the whole episode of not doing, but receiving and working out of a full cup Mm -hmm. Or overflowing cup. That's good. Um, spiritual practices that have been meaningful for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, devotions for me, meaning uh, time in God's word, um, prayer, mm-hmm. um, some form of silence. Uh, just my brain gets firing in a million directions and um, just, just having some time to be still. Hopefully I can do that every day. Um, but also I found it to have a time once a week to, to get out into nature. Um, so that's what I call kind of my, my horizontal or my vertical kind of practices. But I also think time and community, um, to be able to mm-hmm. serve with people. But a big one I think is to be with people close enough that you have to forgive them and they have to forgive you. Mm. Uh, I think forgiveness mm. is something you actually have to practice and you have to practice being forgiven. Yeah. You have to practice apologizing. Um, and when you stop getting in community, 
um, you stop learning how to apologize, you stop learning how to forgive people, and I think that causes division and polarization and, and things that our world is dealing with. So that that one has been really formative for me is mm-hmm. to, to be with people who um, know who I am, who I have to apologize to, who forgive me, and of course I forgive them as well. And that's that's a great thing, especially as a pastor, to kind of mm-hmm. to be forgiven by people. Um, hmm. to not put yourself on that pedestal. It's not, not for these right. horrible disqualifying sins. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you know, sure. just for your like, sure. I, I was tired and I, I spoke too harshly, you know, or things right. of that nature. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I, I almost wonder too, like, does it kind of require that mo that movement of yours? Does that require putting yourself in community with people who you don't necessarily agree with on everything? You know, so there's going to be, opportunity for misunderstanding perhaps to practice forgiveness is that fair yeah 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 i think there's a forgiveness like i actually did something wrong uh and mm-hmm. then there's an acceptance of differences that i think mm-hmm. really flows from mm-hmm. god's grace it i i don't think it's it's as simple as hey we're just in this close community and we disagree on what we would consider the most important things right right i think it's when you have the most important thing, which is Jesus, uh, when you have that that grace from Him, mm-hmm. hopefully, what happens as a believer is the other things in life become more secondary. That you go, hey, we can mm-hmm. disagree on some pretty what our world would mm-hmm. consider dividing issues, mm-hmm. and we would say as Christians, no, it's 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 not. We don't we don't have to divide on this. We can we can be at the table. Mm-hmm. We can talk and. And then hopefully that grows you to a point where you're you have enough of God's peace that you could even sit at a table and have constructive yeah. dialogue with people who you don't even agree with Jesus on that you could go yeah I, you know I want to be a peacemaker that's what Christ yeah. called us to be and that's a beautiful thing yeah. but it's a it's a hard thing because right the war I don't want to be too trite about this but I think the wars on the outside start with the war on the inside mm-hmm. if you don't have that peace on the inside it. You're yeah. gonna find somewhere to fight everywhere, and that's yeah. only been amplified with uh, kind of social media and stuff like that, which which yeah. can be very very good things. Yeah, hundred again, we could go down that road uh, <laughs> for the podcast, and I agree. Well, I had Scott on to talk about his book Supply Lines: Five Supporting Relationships Every Planter and Pastor Needs. I, I kind of like Scott that you you widened this not just to be about church planters. And I know, again, the kind of target demographic is uh, newer churches type context, but I, I imagine you'd agree with me. Like we're in a we're in a societal context, especially in the church world, that most churches are in need of some kind of revitalization, not mm-hmm. and change, not unlike like a, you know a, a church planter might need to do um, or lead. So I think I really think like the five supply lines really are applicable to probably most every pastor. So uh, talk, if you would kind of just what inspired the book, how it got going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It started as a research project in church planting. I'm a church planting coach. Um, I help out my denomination uh, with you know, coaching and some assessment and other things like that. And I basically, I was asked to just, asked two questions. So it wasn't a survey, it was interviews. Mm-hmm. And it was in the United States and Canada. It's with church planters. It was with directors of church planting. It was with denominational leaders. And it was just what's working and what's not working. Totally mm-hmm. open-ended. I could not add my own opinion onto that. I right. was completely passive. I took hundreds of pages of notes. And it there were a lot of findings, but I was very surprised at how often the issue of support came up, relational support. I mean, everyone loves financial Mm -hmm. support, but relational support and how the planters that were able to thrive and flourish, they, they discovered that having one coach and they were all given a coach. Some of the coaches worked out. Some of them didn't. Mm -hmm. They were all surprised at how they needed to go find more than one coach. And they kind Mm -hmm. of just stumbled upon it. They kind of did this on their own. I've just, yeah, I knew that one person wasn't enough. And they started sharing the different types of support that they needed, what they were looking for out of out of coach. Mm-hmm. I 
I advocate that the categories are more important than the names. That's kind of an aside that doesn't matter if you call them a mentor yeah. or a coach or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. People really harp on like, well, you need to have this. this. I just go, it's about the category. Because right. what one person means by mentor is different than what another person means by mentor. Right. And I reported those things um, in a report I did to my denomination that turned into my doctorate and started using it in my coaching. And what I found is how much people were resonating with it as I was coaching through it, realizing, mm-hmm. am I coaching calls with, with the people I was coaching, my church planters? We couldn't cover all five things in one meeting. I, mm, I needed yeah, to ask yeah. them, which one of these am I to you? And, and I needed to know that within myself, which, which one or two of these am I best at? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I needed to encourage them to go find the other three from other, from other people. Um, and that really elevated our coaching conversations because I knew when they asked a question, how should I respond? What, what type of supply line am I to them? Mm-hmm. I did end up preaching on it. Um, and so, yeah, I actually think this could be used for anybody. I mean, I've, I've, the people in my church have come up and said, I, I need this in my life. Mm-hmm. And most people only have one or two people they can really confide in or share with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I read, a, I saw a meme online that I thought was hilarious that said, no one talks about the miracle of Jesus having 12 close friends in his 30s. Um, as a male. Yeah, as a male in his 30s, you know, because we get to the yeah. point where we go, we don't, we don't really have that level of trust and, and confiding in people. Yeah. And so I'm really advocating for that for all people, for pastors. But I think what happens is once we get into leadership, and especially for pastors, there's something that holds us back from seeking out support and asking for help. The best mm-hmm. leaders do it naturally. They just go right. to people and go, hey, I need help. Can we go get coffee? Yeah. But there's set, you know, pastors have been burned. I think we feel like we're not supposed to ask for help. We don't know where mm-hmm. we can be safe. Right. Um, it, it, there's this, there's reasons that hold us back. I, there is a whole chapter in the book about what are some misunderstandings about support? You know, what, mm-hmm. what, why do we, why, what holds us back, especially as leaders, especially as spiritual leaders, from seeking it out. Um, but if we can overcome those things, it really, really makes a big difference. So that's, that's been inspiring. My hope is to help people get the support they need to flourish. That's kind of been my heart in this. Yeah. I, I want to stay on that for just a minute, if I may. Again, you know, we kind of, I kind of shared with you before we started recording how I was going to kind of frame this through some of my own experiences. And I'm just thinking like in established churches where I've been the lead, you know, pastor or church planning experiences, it really can be touch and go asking for support because there's this sense of like, I mean, some, obviously some people are receptive, but there's some who are like, why don't you have this figured out type thing? Or, you know, we're paying you to have the answers or, you know, you should be farther along by now type thing. So it's a big risk, at least from, from my experience, it felt like a big risk at times asking for help when you're kind of like, when you have something you're like struggling with, like obviously whether it's a, you know, some uncertainty or whatever to like, to, to risk vulnerability and then kind of be, you know, uh, uh, shot down or something that really kind of doesn't help the, the ego or the, or the, uh, the mental health there either anymore. Yeah, you're right. And I think there are people in our churches who expect us to have it figured out that that's coming out of their own insecurity. Right. Yeah, you know, that's good. No, that's no one good. really expects that of another human, but, but some people do because they need some place of absolute certainty. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it just comes from our own selves too. We expect ourselves to have it all figured out. I think more yeah. than our people expect us to. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated by the character of Peter um, that how could someone be the church leader if they deny Jesus, hmm. you know, and you, you look at the mm-hmm. stories in the gospels and you go, the only way we know what happened is because Peter told people. Hmm. And I just keep thinking, I don't think I could tell people that story. <laughs> you know, Here's he's telling people, Oh yeah, I yeah. totally screwed this up or I totally did this. And you're going that, that guy, that's our church leader. That's the one Jesus put in charge. Are you kidding me? 
And somehow, yet it's been so inspiring for thousands of years that this person who's flawed and broken yet is just loves Jesus, you know, Jesus called him Satan one time. Yeah. <laughs> you're going, that that's our leader. And there's just there's something about that that breaks the it's probably too mm-hmm. strong of a word, but breaks almost the idolatry of mm-hmm. people are longing for Jesus. And so therefore their pastors will always disappoint them. Hmm. And and that's I think that's supposed to be there because they're trying to put us in place of him. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and almost we, we, we shouldn't disappoint them in terms of moral failure or anything like that. I don't want to justify any of that, but, right. but in terms of, can I be there for you 24 seven? No, mm-hmm. but there is someone who can. can right. I, can I tell you exactly what you're thinking, even though you don't know how to articulate it? Cause I can read your brain as, as your pastor. No, but there is someone who can, um, yeah, and, and I mean, so I'm trying to point people to him, but I yeah. can't be Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to highlight that too, because like obviously, um, it kind of goes back to what you said about being in being okay on the inside versus like external circumstances. I think is true because again, we don't want to we don't want to um, we don't want to ignore or minimize um, you know like you said moral failure or you know abuse. Right. Those kind of like toxic things um, at all. And, and certainly like for the last, what, 10, 15 years, it seems like that's been a thing. It's like, oh, well, this pastor is so awesome. The ministry's going so well that we can just kind of look the other way. We, I do not want to ignore it and minimize that at all. I'm struggling train of thought here, obviously. Um, but you, yeah, yeah. But obviously we, you know, we need to, um, I guess if we have a realistic expectation uh, of or if if church members do so to speak congregants do like there's gonna be this realization that hey my pastor's not gonna be perfect but obviously i think we want to have a high expectation of pastors but also like hey this pastor's gonna make mistakes like the next like i would so that's right yeah and what can help people to think of a there should be a leadership line a leadership standard you know mm-hmm. abuse moral right feeling. right but there's there's a pretty big gap between that line, which is a high line. But mm-hmm. there's a gap between that line and Jesus, right? Right. And, right. and you need to let your leaders live in between those lines. Of you need to hold, you need to be held to a standard, but to expect you to know exactly what to say and be constantly available. I think that's one of the big factors for burnout for clergy is this never being off the clock thing. Um, I think to allow people to live inside of that can make a big difference and, and help them. And, um, hopefully again, back to kind of what the book is about is allow clergy to spot in the right places. Cause it, most of it will be outside the church. Some of it will be inside the church, but for clergy to be appropriately vulnerable and share kind of what's going on and feel like this is a safe space for me to, share some of the stuff that I'm going through and process. So um, to be able to find that those places is really, really beneficial for anyone's soul, including a clergy soul. One of the big things I hope through the book is that clergy can realize that they are, they're, they're Christians first. Hmm. And so mm-hmm. if people need groups, if people need a pastor, well then pastors need pastors. Right. And, Right. So it's just kind of like the the very thing we set up all mm-hmm. week long or all month long, all year long for other people. I'm just advocating for pastors to set it up for themselves as well. And, yeah, yeah. And all the reasons we say, well, I can't really do that, just to realize those are the same reasons people say they don't need to go to church. Mm-hmm. That's, That's the good. same reasons people say they don't need to be in groups. And you go, no, yeah. you need to be in groups. Well, we just got to say that to ourselves, like. And so do I, I need to be in a group too, where I can be own, uh, open and honest. And, um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into some of these five supply lines, uh, run through these real quick. And I want to talk through some more in depth here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do the five and I like to describe them with like, almost like a little case study of, Hey, what mm-hmm. do I do if something went wrong in my life? Something went wrong in a church service or I have a problem I don't know how to handle 
So the first one is spiritual. These are soul sharpeners and you bring them a problem and they're just going to listen. They're going to empathize and they're going to say, where's Jesus in this? How's God speaking to you? The second one is an inspirational vision caster. You bring them a problem, you know, something went off at, at church and they go, that's a problem. I'm really sorry, but what could this become? How could this problem be an opportunity? So right away you see these two people are going to answer it different. The third one is motivational. These are kind of encouraging tail kickers. They're not hype people, but they believe mm-hmm. in you. And so they're willing to give you a little kick in the pan. So, hey, something goes off in church or you're dealing with a problem and they're, they're going to say like, okay, but you can do it. You know, you can, you, you know, I'm not going to tell you what the solution is. These people don't always tell you what to do. Usually they don't, but it's, you got this. Like what, what, mm-hmm. what's your next step? Let's go. Don't, don't sit and cry about it. Let's go. Uh, the fourth is interpersonal. So these are like heart healers or friends. These are, these are people, this could be a therapist. These are people who listen to you. They process with you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you bring them a problem and they're like, let's talk through it. And, and what's happening inside of you? What, what's going on? How are you unpacking that? Or again, if it's friends are like, Hey, yeah, yeah, that's a bummer. Let, let's go out to eat. Let's go yeah, play basketball. Yeah. Let, let's, you know, let's go watch a movie. Let's, you know, they're just kind of more like, let's, let's, it's, it's a way for you just to be yourself. And then the fifth one is practical, what we would classically consider a coach. So mm-hmm. you bring them a problem and they're going to go, here's a book to read. Here's a website to check out. Here's three steps you're going to do. Um, and we need that. And one of the things, this is kind of an aside that's happening in church planting is our coaches aren't always able to get to the practical because hmm. our pastors and our planters are hurting so much yeah. that the coaching sessions turning more into a therapy. You know, like, uh, well, yeah, therapy or even spiritual direction or right. almost right. pastoral care. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah, so our practical care. needs aren't. And, and so my, my advocating for people is find the people who are your primary spiritual care people, a therapist or a spiritual mm-hmm. director, mentor, whatever you want to call them. And then right. when you're with the practical person, keep it practical. It doesn't mean mm. you shouldn't have five minutes. Hey, how are you? How's life? But right. Don't right. dive in, get practical help, allow that person who's a strategic thinker to be a strategic thinker and just go, here you go. And it, it might be hard to hear at first because they're just going to be going boom, boom, boom. Um, right. But yeah, if you, if you have those people, let them live in that supply line and you don't have to do anything they tell you. That's the great thing mm-hmm. about being an adult. <laughs> you don't have to follow yeah. everything they're saying, um, but let let them speak into it. Now, here's a question I'm curious about. Like, do you think it's helpful to, as the the pastor or planter, kind of set boundaries with these people and be like, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not asking you to be like my strategic thinker." Like, you know, the classic type thing situation where, like, a couple in a relationship, like one comes home frustrated with work and it's like. Oh, works work was terrible today, blah, blah, blah. And the and the other partner gets into this like trying to fix it. And the and the first partner's like, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to like listen. Like, do you think that's helpful? Cause I can I can easily imagine like like the the soul sharpener or the inspirational person like starts to try to be strategic and you're like, I don't need you to be strategic right here. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I, I'm a huge advocate and talk about it a lot in the book about how to set these relationships up so that they're actually the most beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. Um, because if not, most meetings that pastors have in a month are for the other person. Yeah, One of the quick yeah. questions I ask pastors, how many meetings a month do you have that are primarily for the other person? And right. they would say 20, 40. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say, well, how many do you have per month that are for you, and they would say one, two per month, and mm-hmm. I'm just advocating for that to be up to four to five, maybe one per week, and because otherwise you're going to be pouring from an empty cup. And 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 they say, well, I I meet with Jesus, and I go, well, you also need to meet with people, just like other people do. And so, yeah, Lauren, I totally advocate for people to advocate and say, this is what I need it to be. But the best way to do that is to actually start 
and start with not don't say hey i need you to be my monthly meeting and can you be my soul sharpener like right. don't start with that that's right that's awkward and it's it's too strong and too it's too aggressive just go out for coffee and bring mm-hmm. a problem and bring a question or two and just say hey i got and, and see how it goes and if it goes mm-hmm. well then say hey could we do this again yeah and yeah. if they say yes then meet again and if and if that goes really well now suddenly you're going hey this has been really helpful to me. Is it possible we could do this every month? And mm. could you, you've really helped me. Every time I bring a problem, you, you really seem to be this vision person in my life. Mm-hmm. Ironically, one of the hardest ones to find. And, and you go, could, you just help me dream bigger. You know, you don't give me your dreams. You help my dreams get bigger. Hmm. Um, the dreams that God put on my heart. Boy, that's a good right there. Could, yeah. Could, could we meet more yeah. often? And, and then what you do is because so many of us are in depletion mode mm-hmm. and we know this from our own people in our church, right? When they share with us, man, they overshare. They're just like, finally, yeah. someone's listening to me. Blah. Yep. And I, and I, I encourage people that's going to happen, but I encourage people start with some nuggets and what you'll end up doing is you'll end up developing a backup system mm. so that if one of your supply lines, everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about here. One of your supply lines moves or goes through crisis. For most of us, we have this, we used to have this inner group of people, but now they get smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. We have no one on the bench. We have no back. Right. Imagine you were watching a game. You yeah. love the Yankees, right? Imagine, yeah. imagine one of the players goes down and, and there's no one on the bench and they just go. And that's literally what's happening right now. Cause judge is hurt, but <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, there's, there's only one, there's only one Aaron judge, but like, imagine if they had no farm system. Right. Right. Imagine if they just said, oh, oh, I guess we're going to play with eight. I guess that's just the way it is. That would, that would seem crazy to us that you would think, why don't you have a backup? Why don't you have a farm system? And I think that's what God's trying to tell us. It's, you can't win the game in basketball if it's five on three. Yeah. God yeah. wants us to have five people in our lives. And, and that means we have to have a bench. One of the ways to grow a bench is if you start not by oversharing, but if you start by just constantly asking people questions, mm-hmm. you're going to find the people who are willing to make over 50% of the conversation about you. That's very hard for clergy to mm-hmm. allow people to let the conversation not be hmm. about the other person. That's interesting. We, yeah. We routinely, this is one of the things with pastors. We routinely try to pastor people. I remember meeting with someone in my church and you can't always find these people in your church. And uh, she was a, she's a, she's a doctor. She's a hospitalist. She's a super leader. She's, she's an amazing leader. And she said, Hey, we're going to meet. Uh, Cause she was on my church. She was the church chair at the time. She said, we're going to meet. Mm-hmm but this is going to be about you. So we get five minutes hmm. into the conversation. How's family? How's life? Right. And, uh, and she said, well, how, how are you really? And I, so I started sharing a little bit real quick. And then I said, how about you? How's the family? How's work? How's whatever? Tell me about that. And she goes, no, no, <laughs> you're not allowed to pastor me. Oh, and I'm I, feeling oh convicted goodness. right here. Right yeah. here. <laughs> I mean, but I was like, what a gift. Yeah. You know, not that I wasn't her pastor, but just that meeting wasn't for me. She she had her own support. She yeah. had a life group. She had professional colleagues. If she needed a pastoral meeting, that would be a different meeting. Right. And that is very hard for pastors to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm th- what immediately comes to mind is I had a, in my context, churches often have what's called like a pastoral relations team or a pastoral yeah. something different yeah. vernacular. and. I remember I met with my, one of my team members and like, I did the same thing where he was was supposed to be about me. And I'm just like, tell me about your family. Tell me about what's going on. Tell Uh me what, Uh you know, um, you know, cause we're kind of trained that way. Um, I want to, I want to dive into one part here and then, you know, we're, we're already 30 minutes in. I'm like, man, there's so much more to talk about here. So let's see what we can get through. Yeah. Um, two things come to mind for me when talking about the five, relationships is one I was interested about the the meetings that are not necessarily you mentioned like have one meeting a month that's for you and and I'm curious like to this point like my experience was like I had like I'd have to have meetings with like 
network person with the nominational person. And like they were technically for me, but I did not experience them as for me. Like, yeah, I experienced them as like, I don't know. I'll leave a it obligation, that. a little bit. of Right. Duty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like I was carrying like the content, especially of the meeting. Um, how, you know, again, there's only so much resource, you know, so much time in a week, so much time in a day. Um, you know, what has been your experience with, you know, what, what you recommend, what, what has been your experience with planters? Um, like, is it ever appropriate to be like, Hey, like I need to, for a planter to be like, Hey, I, I, this, this meeting is not helpful for me. Does, does that make sense? Yes. And I think that's one of the best things you can do. I would encourage people to find someone else before you cut off. Cause even a meeting that's only sort of for you mm-hmm. is better than no meeting. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think you definitely advocate. Uh, I was coaching a planter once and he told me from the beginning, I need you to ask me questions. Hmm. And I got into kind of giving too much advice and he just cut me off and said, Scott, that was yeah. helpful. And that's I good. Said, Thank you. Yeah. Because I don't want to be unhelpful. I don't want to waste my time. Right. Now, if it's, yeah. a, if it's a network or denominational leader, that, that might be harder. A little but, harder. Yeah. But but I, you 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 gotta you you gotta cut through some of that, and you you know you gotta kind of evaluate every few months: is this helping me or not? Yeah. And you have to be okay letting that go. And I, the way I put it is this way: if, if you're meeting with a therapist and the meeting's not about you, you should get a new therapist. Right. Yeah. You know, and you yeah, got to treat it on that level. You are pouring out into people every single day. Yeah. And you need some people who can do that for you. And in the same way you believe that for, for what others need, model that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate how, how just you frame that of pouring out. Cause again, like as a, again, whatever kind of, I, I think this is true in most ministry contexts, you're, you're really like you said, literally pouring out. And man, for me, at least I just experienced it in some meetings I had rather than me being able to be like honest, it was just like expected to like impress or uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, That's a clear sign that you in that moment, and you mentioned this earlier, you in that moment don't feel it's safe to be vulnerable. Right, and that's right. not unwise. There are right. some places it's not safe to be vulnerable, and 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 vulnerability is not at all or nothing. It has degrees right. to it. Right. But when <clears throat> you can find the people that you can be more vulnerable with, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you lose your filter. I don't think people right. should ever lose their filter, <laughs> but but where you can be more vulnerable with that Peter level vulnerability, which takes time, mm-hmm. um, that's that's a real gift, and it and. It, and and you, there's no always accounting for it. It's not always assigned to you. you, you mm-hmm. It takes time for you to build that level of trust and 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 for how people respond and and things like that. So yeah, yeah. Um, I want to ask too. Like, I'll talk honestly here, perhaps a bit vulnerably. Like, I found that the first four were not hard for me to find. Um, I found it really hard to find someone who is a strategic thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kind of curious in your experience, like what's the hardest to find? Cause like I had, I think I had soul sharpeners, you know, I think I had someone who's a vision caster. Mm-hmm. Um, I had someone who could inspire me or kind of motivate me when I need motivation. I had some, I had some heart healers, but I feel like it was really hard to find someone who was a strategic thinker. Um, I don't know, you know, yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, each of them can be hard to find. Some of it's depending on how you yourself are wired. Okay. Um, so if, if someone's a visionary, they tend not to seek out visionaries because mm. they go, I got vision oozing out of my ears. Mm-hmm. What they don't realize is they tend to bounce their craziest ideas off of the people closest to them, including their staff and volunteers, which sends them into freak out mode. Mm-hmm. And the visionary is like, no, I'm just, I'm just sharing ideas. And they're thinking, yeah, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. So you have a vision caster in your life. You can bounce those ideas and they can go, nope. Yep. Great. Nope. 
let's make that one better. They mm-hmm. help you process. But, but, but that there's no skin in the game for them. Just, sure, sure. Um, the 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 practical one, the biggest thing I would say um, is you, you want to find someone who's in as similar of a context as you are. Do they chair yeah. your chair? So if you're bivocational in a rural setting or an urban setting or, you know, whatever, you want to try to find people who are a little further along in that mode. And, and when you get that, the great thing is they'll give you good advice. Right. But even better, they'll just give you their resources. You're like, mm-hmm. hey, send me your whole calendar of events. <laughs> send me what you did for how do you do stewardship? Right. Talk about finances. You know, send me your sermon series. And, you know, you, you start going, hey, this is you're kind of a few steps ahead. And I really like who you are and how your church functions or mm-hmm. your ministry functions or whatever. It allows you to to kind of model that. And it might be personal problems, but some of it might just be practical. Like, hey, how do we reach our community? How do we serve the needs here? Well, what are you doing? Um, we got to write an employee handbook. Well, what did you guys do? I mean, it can yeah. be just so brass tacks. And so, so yeah. let me be let me be kind of bold here for some of my mainline listeners, perhaps, if I'm hearing you right, Scott. So, from my experience, like I was a church planner in a, in a mainline context mm-hmm. that doesn't do a lot of like traditional church planting, so to speak, at least in my area. And I've, I found that I appreciate you saying that because that's kind of what I experienced is like, it was real hard for me to connect with other leaders in my context because I just felt like they didn't have the experience that I was experiencing on the ground. And I think that's part of some of the disconnect was. Um, so this is kind of my, my little statement for listeners. Like, it might be prudent, and I imagine you'd agree with me here, Scott. You might have to go outside your immediate context, your meet your circles, to find someone who can be, especially for that kind of strategic thinker. If you're a, like a church revitalizer or trying to, you know, get rethink something going. So yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you 100. percent And and you know, in my life recently, I've, I've been trying to do a lot more both and instead of either or. Yeah, I that's think good. there's such a value if you're in a network or a denomination of having connections there. There's 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 a value in that. Right. Because they tend to stay with you if you move and, you know, right. decades and decades, you know. But if you're kind of saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a house church movement person. And I need to connect with other health church movement people, or I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a campus leader, or I'm in mm-hmm. a, you, you want to find the books and the people who are giving those practical things. Uh, another version of the strategic thinker, I have one of these people in my life is there are people in your community who just know everybody. Mm, so that's then good. I don't have yeah. to know everybody. I just have right. to know the one person who knows everybody. So right. then I go, that's Hey, good. Our concrete's broken. They go, oh, I got a guy. Yeah. You know, call this yeah. gal. You know, they, they know everybody and that's a form of practical, but you got to meet with them regularly so that you keep that connection going. But now I don't have to meet with 40 people in town. I can just meet with this one person who knows everyone. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let me move on here. We're running, yeah. we're running long here and I, my, my son is very, <laughs> Yeah, good job. My son is very talkative for me today. So uh, listeners, stay with me here. Uh, I think we have good content and he's using the ice machine here. Um, So I I told you from the beginning, I wanted to talk about crisis. And I don't think we have time to kind of get into the the biggest part of the chapter. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about uh, can suffering be redemptive? And and Mm -hmm. let me frame it perhaps this way. I think this is true in society right now writ large where this idea that any kind of like pain or suffering or negativity is just toxic and you've got to get rid of it. Um, I certainly was taught from my theological context in seminary to question whether suffering could be redemptive in any way. Uh, again, I, that was more of a, more of a mainline liberal context Recently, I've, you know, I've kind of wondered, like, do we need to kind of reevaluate suffering? Not to say that we should uh, look the other way at um, uh, uh, 
wrongdoing or sin or injustice um, and kind of like kind of glossify or or make that okay when when needless human suffering is happening um but you know hopefully I'm not rambling too much here but I'm just wondering like for clergy for pastors who are going through tough times do we need to see like hey like rather than just being like this is a toxic mess and I need to get out of that my church is harming me should we instead have this notion of you know what can I learn here uh how might I grow from this how might I get stronger from this again not to not to just diminish or dismiss any like cuz we all know that there are real things that happen to pastors and in churches, especially, um, you know, especially for non-white, non-men, right? If I can say that. That's right. Um, so I don't know. That's a lot there. Uh, what what stands out to you? Yeah. I mean, Lauren, it's, it's such an important question because at some point we're all going to go through it and mm-hmm. we're not, we're not, especially as clergy, we're not really ready for it. Mm-hmm. And so now you have the, I need to keep the facade that I'm doing great because I have to be this person for other people. So mm-hmm. again, probably too strong of a word, but it's a kind of a form of idolatry. Yeah. Um, and like you said, we don't have time, but there's, there's more than just burnout. We talk a lot about burnout, but each of the five supply lines has a form of crisis and, you know, including emptiness and despair and loneliness and chaos. And mm-hmm. so can suffering be redemptive? Yes, but we would never justify evil. And the simplest version of that is, again, for us as believers, is look at Jesus. Yeah, There's nothing in the New Testament that says that what Pilate did was good or what the Jewish leaders did was good or how the disciples fled Jesus or betrayed him. There's nothing. There's no hint that ever says those things are good. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible says woe to those who call evil good. Mm -hmm. But yet it tends to say that but this was God's plan, and, and somehow God could work through human evil, not cause mm-hmm. it. I think right. it's like recycling, right? Hmm. God doesn't cause evil, but he can recycle evil. He can take the bricks people are throwing at you, or mm-hmm. you threw it yourself, and use them to build you. Hmm. And and so Jesus is a great example of this. Peter, you know, I think when going back to Peter again, when he says, yeah. Hey, um, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter says, never, that'll Mm -hmm. never happen to you. And then why does Peter deny? Well, he denies because it could cost him. It would say, and then Peter winds up writing the book of first Peter, which is all about accept suffering as part of God's plan. This Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you let injustice go. Mm -hmm. We work for the good. We work to make things better. We work to lessen suffering in the world. Suffering is not a good it's that God can use something intended for evil for our good. Um, you know, could God have saved the people in Israel if Joseph hadn't been there? Yeah. But yeah. God took something intended for good and used it for, sorry, intended for evil. Right. And used it for good. But there's a, there's a deeper process going on too. And, you know, there's, there's Pete Scazzaro writes about in his book, Hagberg and Gulich write about this stages of faith. And one of the stages mm-hmm. is the wall. Yeah. And clergy have to go through it too. And, and many of us haven't, and you get stuck when you start taking the inner journey and ministry will force you to take the inner journey hmm. because you didn't realize many of us got into it because we got a lot of encouragement, right? We got a lot of, what happens when you're not getting enough appreciation for all the work you're doing? That's going to force you to start questioning some things. Yep. And what what happens when the the feedback loop, the positive feedback loop, gets broken? Like, right, I'm right. not getting back from this. What I right. was there, right. you realize I had a transaction in my head with God. Right, I, we had a deal, and you realized, oh, God didn't agree to my deal, <laughs> and yeah. you're at this wall. And what all these authors talk about, dark night is soul, the wall, right, is the only way through it. You can't go over it, under it, around it. The only way um, to the other side is to be broken. Hmm. And the hardest part is that not all the pieces make it through. Hmm. You will not be the same on the other side. You won't view God the same way. You won't view yourself the same way. 
you won't view others the same way. We talk about how you're different on the other side, how you understand yourself, even the even the fallen parts of yourself. You you don't you don't ignore your will. You don't pretend you don't have a will. Mm-hmm. You just give your will to God. Hmm. It's it's different. You you accept that you're limited. You accept that you're fallen. You let go of transactionalism. You accept that other people are fallen. Mm-hmm. It, it it's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm already there. But there, there's just a different piece. You, you're not trying to manage people's perceptions of you or control outcomes the same way on the other side. There's a lot we could talk about, but yeah. you can only get through that by being broken. And and because of our fallen world. And this is this is a post fall thing, because of our fallen world. The only way to get there is typically to go through some of this nonsense of life mm. that, in my own life, is primarily self imposed. But mm. for other people, it might be imposed from the outside. Yeah. But you you get to this spot where you learn to forgive yourself, forgive others, to accept God's forgiveness, to to really live with this sort of true peace that hmm. that comes mm-hmm. from god yeah yeah well uh, we're gonna have to leave it there for sake of time yeah. uh really interesting really intriguing uh, for listeners i really encourage you uh check out the book supply lines five supporting relationships every planter and pastor needs uh, scott goes more into depth in all these conversations in the book so uh, let's take a quick break and come back with some closing questions all right we're back with reverend dr scott nelson uh, thanks for thanks, Scott, for hanging with me through uh, the uh, podcast audience today. Listeners, thanks for doing the same. Uh, so I have these closing questions. Always encourage listeners, you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you're Pope for a day, <laughs> what does it look like for you? Yeah, I will take this one seriously. But I had a lot of jokes in my head. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, would, I would probably just do a day of prayer. Mm. Um, and, and I like this idea that we have good programs but god's got the power Mm. if we if we could just if we could just pray i think it just takes us to another spot yeah 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 good um a theologian or historical christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life yeah uh definitely would love to have lunch with a guy named athanasius okay Um, incredible story early on he was accused of many things that were untrue um fought for the true faith um wrote uh, a blockbuster when he was 18 mm-hmm. and man just incredible life incredibly brilliant guy exiled five times yeah um, so that, that would be for me what do you think history will remember from our current time and place oh that's good i'm a student of history i would say short term Mm-hmm. What people will remember is that this was a time of division, of yeah. polarization, um, and I hope that church can be a place of hope in that. But long term, I actually think history will remember this as a time of massive people movement, of mm. people, refugees, war, mm. hunger crises, human trafficking, that I think there's a lot of movement in our global world. And I think long-term history will look back and say, there were some pretty big forces at work that caused a lot of disruption. And a lot of the things that we're dealing with have to do with just the amount of change mm-hmm. that's happening just from displacement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hope sort of the future of Christianity. My biggest hope is that we can look forward with hope and truly mm-hmm. looking forward. And, uh, I, I love the the cliche verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But right. I want people to remember that Jeremiah wrote that to people who had just been destroyed, had their home destroyed, were in exile. Mm-hmm. And it's not that things were just great and beautiful and it's on right. this beautiful scenic picture in their house and everything's just wonderful. It's like, no, they're, they're exiles and they're mm-hmm. miserable. And I think... We need to learn lessons from our past, but press on for the future. And I, you know, Habakkuk says, I, I'm going to do something new in your day. Um, I, I would hope that people could go. It doesn't mean the future is going to look the same, but God is going to do a new thing. And I want to be part of it. I don't, and you're going to miss it if you're driving, looking in the rearview mirror. You're, you're yeah. going to just get more accidents. So 
look forward and just say it's not going to be the same. It's okay that it's not the same, but God's still at work. That would be my hope. You know, that historical context doesn't quite fit as neatly on like a coffee mug or, you know, greeting card, but it it almost adds more power to, you know, the the context, the verse there. To me, it's Um, almost like this picture of ashes with a flower coming out or or like a tree stump. Right. Right. uh, Sorry, a tree sapling. Right. Yeah. Everything's been burned. But Well, yeah, a sapling growing out of a a tree stump or a, you know, a, a burned down forest. Um, let me throw this at you too, before we, before we wrap this, you know, you do a lot of coaching, um, what's in this context, um, where there's many churches struggling, pastors are struggling post COVID, uh, what's, what's a, what's a one piece of advice you is on your heart to kind of recently, or you'd want to share with pastors? Yeah. Don't go alone. Don't go alone. I mean, stay absolutely rooted to Jesus. But, but don't go alone. I think that's what we're saying to our people. And that's our world has gotten so lonely. The Surgeon General just issued a, a warning that loneliness is worse for your physical health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. Uh, it, and, and it's affecting almost 50% of our world. And I believe that if our, if our clergy are lonely, it's going to be hard to help our people. Yeah. Um, so if we can start by saying, hey, I need to model true community, true friendship where I can be myself. Um, that can go a long way. Some of that would be in our church, some of it would be out, but that would mm-hmm. be my biggest thing is stay connected, seek out support. Yeah. Um, this is great. Where can our, where can listeners connect with you, find out more about your book, all that stuff? Yeah. So the book is on Amazon. Uh, you have to look up, Supply line Scott Nelson. Uh, otherwise, you're going to find books on plumbing and things like that, <laughs> um, which has an analogy to 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 the book for but, sure or to the concept. Um, you can do Facebook, you can do Instagram. Uh, Covenant Grove Church is the church where I serve. You can see stuff there. Um, but yeah, and and I and I do workshops and seminars on this material as well. Um, so yeah, great stuff. Great. Well, I really appreciate the time conversation and uh hope the uh book is helpful for uh leaders uh in churches um i always leave folks with a word of peace so may god's peace be with you thanks for joining us on the future christian podcast to learn more about lauren or the podcast visit future-christian.com one more thing before you go do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.